Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Thursday, September the 8th, 2022. It is currently 1054 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios located right here in Abilene, Texas. The year was 2011. 2011. Where were you in 2011? What were you doing in 2011? Did you happen? I know I know it's 2022 now, so this is not common, but maybe back in 2011, maybe back in 2011, did you possibly visit a Christian bookstore? Did you? So 2011, did you? Did you visit a Christian bookstore? Come on, come on, you can tell me. No, no, yes. If you visited a bookstore, a Christian bookstore in 2011, there is a high probability that you saw a book called The Harbinger. There's a pretty good chance. Somewhere in 2011, somewhere in 2011, you saw the book The Harbinger. And if you did not visit a Christian bookstore, there is a very good chance. If you know Christians, go to church with Christians, you heard someone talking about the contents of the book, The Harbinger. Maybe it took till 2012 or 2013. Maybe it took a few years, but people were talking about The Harbinger all over the place. Even even in in my circles, which obviously would not be in the typical circles that a book like The Harbinger would even matter, I heard discussions about it. The Harbinger, The Harbinger, The Harbinger, The Harbinger. Now, for me, and, and, and I'm, I'm somewhat conflicted because I never know how, which way to go. On one hand, I want to say The Harbinger is the best book ever written, but it's only the best book in this way. It's the best book to use for a hermeneutics class to teach everyone what not to do. The Harbinger is a great book. Everyone should buy like 50 copies, pass them that, them out to everyone in your church. Well, I mean, if you have thousands of people, however many people you have in your church, everyone should have a copy of The Harbinger and you should, and then you should stand behind the pulpit or stand in front of your Sunday school class and say, the book you're holding in your hand, the book you're holding in your hands, plural, right? The books you are holding in your hands is one of the greatest books ever written and teaching people how not to do hermeneutics. Literally, that's what you should do, okay? I know it's, it's, it's a little dated now. I mean, it's, I mean, it's 2022. We're going back to a book written in 2011, but the book is, is it's best for that. But, it, but on the other hand, I like to say it's the worst book ever written because it is so bad. So on one hand, it's the best book, to show people how not to do hermeneutics. On the other case, it's, and on the other hand, it's the worst book because it's so bad in how it handles scripture, especially scriptures in the book of Isaiah. The Harbinger. I have very negative feelings towards the book. Very To say that I have negative feelings would be an understatement. Just uh, the mere mention of the word harbinger, and I and I almost I almost just go into a full blown seizure. I almost start I I almost have a panic attack. That's and I know you're saying, oh, you're being over dramatic. You're using hyperbole. Not really, because I really don't like the book. It bothers me so very much. Again, I think it's the greatest book to teach hermeneutics, right? Day one in hermeneutics class, everyone, I'm handing you a book called The Harbinger, right? Your job is to read this book tonight. Tomorrow in class, 
we start learning hermeneutics. So when everyone comes to class going, ooh, and everybody's talking about the book, then I can say, all right, what you just did last night was learn how not to do hermeneutics, okay? Because it's it's that bad, right? Really? And you know, you know the book, you here's what I would say. You know the book is bad when Glenn Beck who is a Mormon, thinks it's an amazing book and thinks it's a great book and promoted it heavily on his radio program. When a Mormon is like, this is an amazing book, you probably know you did something wrong in your hermeneutics, right? Agree? I mean, come on. Oh, come on. You have to agree with that. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. Why are we talking about a book written in 2011? You going all the way back to 2011. Why? Because of an a weird set of circumstances that occurred yesterday. Now, for those who do not know, I have, or for those who do not know, I have a seizure disorder because of something happened to me in the military. So yesterday was, well, I always make the joke whenever I have a seizure that I'm earning my pay because, you know, I was declared 100% disabled uh, by the government and medically retired because of everything that happened to me. And those seizures are the ongoing results of everything that happened. So, um, uh, yesterday was a seizure day. Okay. I had a massive seizure. The side of my face is all beat up. So I'm still a little bit, I feel much, I feel basically almost a hundred percent, but I always know mentally it usually takes about 48 hours, 72 hours to really get back to full mental clarity. And even my full mental clarity, some would argue is not that clear, but, but you get the idea. So yesterday I was having all kinds of issues with my neurologically and with seizures made it through all of that. But somewhere in the midst of that, I, 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 and, and, and if my time, if, if my time frame here is a little messed up, please understand, I, I forget a lot of things after a seizure and some things come back. Uh, <laughs> someone just asked, did the harbinger cause your seizure? Well, the book was written in 2011. My seizures, well, my seizure started in 2003. So I was having seizures way before uh, this. But yes, the harbinger almost caused my seizure. But here's what happened. Somewhere in having seizures, okay, having a seizure, I should say, having a lot of other neurological issues, on my Overcast podcast app, I get a notification because I have all of my, on all of my podcast apps, I have all my notifications on because I just love seeing, boom, a new podcast, boom, a new podcast. And it said, Jonathan Kahn on his books. I'm like, wait, wait, what, what is this? So I hit play. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jonathan Kahn, he's written another book. Wait, what's going on, right? I'm like, okay, I've missed something. I know I've had seizures. What did I miss? And I, and I thought because of the way it dropped and it was dated September the 7th, I'm like, okay, this is all brand new material. And then I, but then I went to find the audio and I could not find it and I could not find it. I'm like, what is going on? Come to find out it's a, it's uh, the podcast is an episode from Lamb and Lion Ministries, or, or their podcast is known as Christ and Prophecy, dating back to 2015. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why is it showing up in the podcast feed today? Only on that one podcast app. Something weird happened. I don't know why it happened, but here's my way of thinking. Guess what? Even though The Harbinger was written all the way back in 2011, all, you know, all going that far back, even, even though that's the case, the Harbinger and Jonathan Kahn, the author, 
Guess what? The book is still very influential in some circles. Jonathan Kahn continues to write books. I think there's going to be a Harbinger movie, or maybe the movie is already out. I don't know. By no means have I been looking for it. Don't want to see it. I'd have to. I'd have to verify. I believe it's supposed to come out in 2022. Let's just let's just look really quick. Let's just look. The Harbinger. Let's see here, the Harbinger movie. Uh, the Harbinger movie. What do we have here? Um, oh, it was released on July the 20th, 2022. So the movie's already out. See how much I wasn't paying attention? And I may have discussed the movie uh, before. Obviously, I didn't go looking for it or anything. And, I, and I'm pretty sure it's just the movie is based off the book, or maybe it's a, a, a book that, uh, or a movie that's not based off the book. I can't remember. But I believe that there was a a movie that was supposed to be made in regards to the book. So maybe there is a movie called The Harbinger that's not related to the book. Maybe there's one that's going to be related to the book that's coming out. But the bottom line is The Harbinger is still, we we could try to figure all of that out because now that I'm looking, I'm like, no, some of this isn't about, this is a different movie. So we'll have to see how that all plays itself out. And and, and if if I need to, I will come back and and clean all of that up. But the bottom line is this. I say all of that for this. I I like to be accurate, but in this particular case, obviously I wasn't ready to talk about the movie. But I just remembered it. So here we go. Whether there's a movie, whether it's out, whether it's coming out, whatever the situation may be, the, the book is still influential. Jonathan Kahn is still speaking at different conferences and different events. He's still seen as some kind of a expert on biblical prophecy. So I think that whenever there's an opportunity to talk about Jonathan Kahn and his books, we don't we don't pass up that opportunity. Even if we have to go backwards, even, even if it requ- requires me delaying doing some of the things I'm currently working on with some of the series we're currently working on, I think it's worth your time and worth my time. So we're going to go back to 2015. Christ and Prophecy is the podcast. They clearly need to work on their podcast feed because there's some weird issues going on. But I'm just grateful and we'll see it as a, some kind of and 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 divine providence that that I, I was supposed to see this and we were supposed to talk about it. We'll just look at it from that perspective, okay? That I'm just grateful that, well, we get an opportunity to deal with this because there's people out there who think that this is like, that Jonathan Kahn and his books are like, this is what biblical prophecy teaching is all about, and uh, it's just it's so sad. I, I guess what shocks me is how many Christians thought that this was amazing. That, that's, I guess that's what baffled me in 2011, and it's what baffles me in 2022. It's like, how can anyone read that and think it's amazing? But you know what? I've had that problem with so many things written in Christianity. The Prayer of Jabez, did anyone really think that was good? Oh, 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 here's one. Experiencing God. Did anyone think that was actually good? I mean, but so many times these things that everyone thinks is so great, I'm always like, I'm a little baffled by. Maybe because I'm just, you know, cynical and jaded and, and I, you know, maybe it's that. But I, I think sometimes I'm just baffled of what Christians are drawn to. And when I say Christians, we're talking just in large numbers, just kind of the majority of the evangelical world. When they're like, this is it, the Jesus calling phenomenon. What is that all about? What is that all about? But there's always these things. Somebody says, did you read it? Did you read it? Did you read it? This is amazing. And whenever I, whenever I start hearing Christians say that, I just want to just like, 
I want to just plug my ears and like, no, 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 no. And I'm not listening and just run away because I know I'm going to end up in that uncomfortable situation where someone's like, this is an amazing book. What do you think? And I have the unfortunate then, (laughs) I have the unfortunate privilege of going, uh, that's complete garbage. That's not good. And you don't want to be that person because it just sounds like that you critical of everything. But Sometimes you have to. So I say all of that for us to do this. We're going to review this podcast episode from 2015, Christ and Prophecy. They're talking Jonathan Kahn on his books. Now, I don't know if they're pro-Jonathan Kahn, if they're critical. I don't know because remember what I do when I come up with the audio, I don't listen to it first. So we listen to it together. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. You get to decide after every episode, right? Sometimes you're like, you need to listen to it first. That was a waste of time. And others are like, no, that's more fun to do it that way. Everyone has their opinion, but it's my podcast. So I'm going to do it this way because it's more fun for me. Like it's, it's, it's no fun for me to listen to it first, take notes, then come up here and listen to it again with you so that I can then basically put on a play where I'm reacting to what I've already reacted to. Like how there's nothing real or fun about that. Like that's, that's not fun to me. That's like a waste of time. If I've already listened to it and I've already reacted to it, then why do I want to come in here and then do the same thing on the microphone when I could just do it in real time? So that's my feelings. And uh, there are many of you who disagree. And I know you tell me all the time, see, you wouldn't have messed that up or you would have gotten there. Or see, like for this, you, you would have known about the movie. Well, I, I don't know if I would have thought about the movie anyway when I was listening to it in the first place because it didn't even cross my mind till right then. So, so maybe I wouldn't, wouldn't have made that mistake or not. Who knows? But, I, you know, I like it this way. So here we go. 20, we went to 2011. Now we're going to jump to 2015. And this will all try to get us to 2022. So that we are better equipped to talk to the Christians that we know, to try to help them going, I know you think that book is great, uh, great, but here's, like, can we do this? And, and here's, it, this is what I would challenge you to do. If you know someone who thinks the harbinger is great, it's like, hey, the harbinger, it's dealing with lots of the prophecies in Isaiah. Here's a, a novel idea. Let's put the harbinger aside and let's just do some basic hermeneutical exercises on the book of Isaiah and see what we find and not even mention and just kind of like leave the harbinger out of it because hopefully they would learn like, man, if that's the way I'm supposed to handle this passage, then hopefully they in their own mind would connect the harbinger is destroying these passages. Hopefully, if you can just teach people how to handle the scriptures, that's all that really matters. Ultimately, you can fix so many theological issues just on fixing that. But here we go. The best-selling book called The Harbinger proved to be very popular with the general public. But among Bible prophecy experts, it caused a storm of controversy. The author, Jonathan Kahn, has now published a second book called The Mystery of the Shemitah, which is also proving to be controversial. To hear what the controversy is all about and to hear Jonathan Kahn's response to it, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents... Christ in Prophecy... A program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. 
Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. My colleague Nathan Jones and I are delighted to have back with us as our special guest for the second week, Jonathan Kahn, who is the author of the best-selling book, The Harbinger. If you oh my, okay, I was not now. See, I okay, whoa, okay, that 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 just threw me for a loop, okay, because. I've listened to Lemon Line Ministries for a very long time. Uh, I used to listen to them every morning uh, and when I, in Nebraska when I worked overnight. And I'd get off work about 6 in the morning. And on my way home, I would listen to Lemon Line Ministry because it's only, I think it was only like 15 minutes long. And so I could pretty much you know, hear the whole thing before I got back to my house so that I could try to get some kind of rest because I'd have to go back the next night and work overnight. But um, I and, – and then I – I would have never thought that Jonathan Kahn would be a guest on their program. Like I, 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 I mean, I know that's a long time ago, but I just, I always felt that, yeah, they, they're definitely into biblical prophecy, but Jonathan Kahn would be a bridge too far. Now, I don't know if they have him as a, I, the fact that he's a guest on the program seems like they are definitely, my, my suspicion is it's not going, I mean, within the Christian world, you don't bring in someone as a guest and have a hostile interview. That rarely happens. It's like if t- someone wrote a book and they're coming onto your program, you're giving them free reign to promote said book and you're not going to really ask them any hard questions. That's really the way it is within, I think, the Christian media. I think that's fair to say. I, th- I think that's an accurate description of Christian media. So th- it's going to be more like, hey, promote your second book. And hey, there's those people out there who criticize you. We want to give you the opportunity to address it. I really would have thought Christ and Prophecy. I thought I really thought this program was going to be them going, hey, this book has got some serious issues. But it's not. So it's just interesting that Jonathan Kahn's book can be promoted and he can be promoted by Glenn Beck, a Mormon. And he can be promoted by Lamb and Lion Ministries, which would be far more evangelical, dispensational theology. How is that possible? How is that possible? You missed our program last week when we discussed with Jonathan the ominous message for America that God has given him. You can find the program on our website at lamblion.com. Welcome back to our program, Jonathan. Great to be here. Great to have you back on. Great to be here. Now, Jonathan is a spiritual leader of the Jerusalem Center Beth Israel in Wayne, New Jersey. And in one of our issues, this is a 2013 Lamplighter magazine, we feature Jonathan here on the cover. And Dr. Reagan labeled him as one of the prophetic voices God has anointed to warn our nation of impending judgment. Wow. I would have not ever thought that they would have said that Jonathan Kahn is anointed by God to warn America of coming judgment. Now, it would be interesting. What kind of judgment was coming? Because that was 2013. 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. Did, did the, has the judgment occurred? Did, did we miss it? Are, 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 is it still coming? I, I just, I just, I, I, I hate to be the cynical one, but it feels like since the moment I became a Christian all the way back in the 80s as a teenager, I kept hearing, God's going to judge America. Judgment's coming upon America. It's going to be here. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. At the same time, I would hear charismatics preachers saying, revival is coming. God's spirit's going to sweep across the nation. 
Hospitals are going to be emptied out. People are going to be resurrected from the dead. And I'm like, so wait, judgment is coming. Revival is coming. And I'm always like, which one is right? Well, here we are, 2022. I never saw the great revival that was supposed to happen. And I guess I can't say that I've ever seen the great judgment that has occurred because so many things that have happened here have happened everywhere else. I mean, just we live in a fallen world. There's good times. There's bad times. There's famine. There's pestilence. There's disease. There's death. There's war. There's crime. Uh, And so I've seen good economic times, bad economic times, times of great concern about war. I've seen I've seen everything in my lifetime. And, and I think if you go back throughout the history of humankind, we've seen the same thing as well. But it's just interesting that within, like, if you if you kind of just stand on the outside, you got this one side, it's like, revival is coming! Revival! Get in now! Revival is here! And you're like, okay, this is it. And then you're like, wait, okay, well, that didn't seem to really pan out. Judgment is coming! If God doesn't judge America tomorrow, then he has to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah! And I'm like, okay, so which is it? Am I looking for revival or am I looking for judgment? I, I I don't know. And kind of what I've learned to do is probably just don't, can I say this? You kind of just stop listening to a lot of the voices coming out of the Christian world and you just go pick up a Bible and learn how to study it. But I digress. I'm just a little taken back because I really did. I, I really thought this was going to be more critical. I was thinking, oh, they're going to criticize the harbinger in these books, but no, they're on full support of it. So let's see, let's see what they had to say. And as always has been the case, anyone who historically speaks out in a prophetic manner, calling people to repentance, Jonathan has been severely attacked for doing so. Now, Jonathan, if you could, let's talk first about. Whoa, 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 time out. Is, was he attacked for calling people to repent or was he attacked because he utterly mishandled the word of God? So I I think if you're going to say he was criticized, we need to be very fair on what that criticism was and what that criticism wasn't. Your first book, The Harbinger, Mm -hmm. maybe you could uh, summarize the the main point and then give us probably the number one criticism of it. Okay, yeah, the... The Harbinger is an ancient mystery from the Bible in the template of judgment that God gave to ancient Israel. And Israel was in its last days, the northern kingdom, there were nine harbingers identified that appear on the land. And they reject them and they're destroyed. Well, the eerie thing or the stunning thing or the scary thing is those same harbingers are now reappearing to America. And some have appeared in New York City. Some have appeared in Washington. But they're happening with precision. Uh, it's so precise that it actually gives the words that American leaders speak before they say them. It gives exact dates when things happen. I mean, down to the seconds. Um, so it is happening. It's affecting all of us. It has affected. And they, since the book came out, it has not stopped. It has continued. The harbingers have continued to manifest as America has continued on a course of danger as it heads away from God. So it is, we are heading to judgment. Okay. And that's what it is. Now the whole book revolves around one particular verse, right? Isaiah 9, 10, which reads, the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with cut stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Now yes. that verse yes. actually yes. expresses an attitude, right? Yeah, that was, that was, Isaiah records what the people said in Israel when they got their first warning strike, which was the, right. the context is the Assyrians had come in, God allowed it years before the destruction as a warning for the nation to wake up. But someone just said, this isn't going to be good for your health today. Be careful. 
Okay, well, you're probably right. This isn't going to be good for my health because I I guess the main thing is this is the fun part of not listening to the audio first. If if we were taking a bet, I would be like, oh, it's Lemon Line Ministries. Of course they're going to criticize the harbinger. I mean, come on. So I was thinking, oh, they're going to they're going to really take this apart and offer criticism. I was not prepared to be ready to go. Wait a minute. I now have to critique their support of the harbinger. I now have to critique what 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 is that? So I was not prepared for this. So I'm sitting here now just listening going, "Oh no." Like, now, like, hey, hey, your whole book is based off this one verse and, and Isaiah, and we don't really care. And we'll, we'll mention the historical context, but immediately these signs are happening right now. Such precision. They give us the date down to the very second. Here we are in 2022. Has, has, did it all come to pass? But wait, we have to write another book. Wait, I've got to write another book. I mean, well, I mean, if we got all the harbingers, I mean, what else do we need? Judgment is coming, right? So do we need, but, but okay, I, I under, I just, I, I get so tired of so much of the, of this kind of writing. I get, I get so tired of this because I, I could probably go to my, well, I have a closet that with full of books and then I have a garage full of books. If I if I go and find all these books like economic collapse is coming, Babylon is being rebuilt by Saddam Hussein, the 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 desert storm. This this is the beginning of this prophecy. I, I every someone throws a rock in Palestine or in Jerusalem. This is it. The 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 end is coming. The, the Antichrist is about to be revealed. Obama is going to you know place the mark of the beast on us with his health care program. We're going to end up in FEMA camps. If I take all the garbage that I've heard from the Christian world about, this is it. This is, this is happening. It's happening. And then guess what? Nothing really happens anywhere close to what they claim, but guess what? Does it stop? No. Next month, we've got a new book coming out with the next big thing. All you have to do is just scare people to death. And nobody seems to really care about truth or honesty or, or here's the thing. If you really believe your message, at some point when you make certain claims and those claims obviously are not occurring and things just keep continuing on as they have for, I don't know, ever, it's just the same type of things that keep happening. Nothing unique is occurring. Well, then when do you come back and go, hey, guys, I got it wrong? At least Harold Camping apologized and admitted he got much of his prophecy and all of his stuff wrong before, after, after his stroke and before his death. And of course I was very much involved in the whole Harold Camping 1994 mess because I was a student at their school. And, uh, wow, I remember that, that whole thing was a complete design. And then the end of the church age and you have to leave your church, all the craziness that went down there. But at least he made some kind of an apology. Some people cr- criticize that his apology wasn't sincere enough. And there's one thing I know about Christianity is no matter what you do, <laughs> Your apology is never sincere enough. So let's not even worry about that. But uh, so I, I'm a little perplexed here, but let's let's see where this goes. Oh, man. I'm mm, mm, mm. Someone else just told me to proceed with caution. I am going to proceed with caution. But now I have to I have to change my whole way of thinking. I thought this was going to be just kind of laid back and fun going, oh, yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about that problem with the book. And, oh, that's a good criticism. And, oh, yeah, that's I thought it was just going to be laid back, relaxed. I could just sit here, drink some water. 
listen to other people criticize Jonathan Kahn and go, we're on the same page. Now I have to go, wait a minute. I, I'm, I'm in the minority here and everyone's on the same side. It's like all of a sudden you realize that everyone is teaming up against you. Right? It's like when you're playing a board game and all of a sudden you realize that everyone playing Monopoly is all trying to buy the property and working together to bankrupt you. And you're like, wait, what, what did I ever do to all of you? Okay, so well, that's all of a sudden I feel like that I, everyone just turned on me. I don't know what to do. Here we go. Instead of saying, hey, yeah, we're going to return to God, they make that statement saying, hey, even though the bricks fell, we're coming back stronger. Even though the, the trees have been cut down, we're going to, we're going to bloom and blossom without God. So they're, they're giving defiance. So Isaiah's recording this, and then God says, because of this, and then the next part is the, the destruction of the nation. So because they defied all the warnings, this happens. And in that verse are explicitly or implicitly the nine harbingers of judgment. I mean, the sycamore is one, the stone is another, the utterance is another, and every single one of them has manifested in America. And we had people, leaders in America, who actually quoted this verse. It's amazing, because this verse is a verse of judgment, pronouncing judgment on a nation, and yet, yet, and I didn't, well, listen, when, when this started, David, I, you know, the Lord led me right to that scripture, you know, but I didn't know. The Lord led me right to that scripture. That is so psychologically manipulative that I, I, I don't even have words for how spiritually abusive that is. I know you're going to say that's ridiculous. You say that spiritual abuse. It's spiritual abuse. When I turn on a microphone and then I'm going to give you some scripture and I'm going to tell you this is what it means. And I tell you, the Lord led me to it for this purpose or the Lord showed me this. Well, then at that point, I've just made my interpretation, my understanding and my use of the verse basically infallible because God led it to me. God gave me this concept. And so if God gave it to me, how dare you criticize me? How dare you offer any criticism? Because my words come from God. It, that is so just, oh, I cannot stand that. It, it's one of the things that bothers me so much from Christianity, because listen, the people are screaming, revival is coming. God led them to a verse. God showed them that. The people saying, judgment's going to happen tomorrow. God led them to the verse. I mean, you can get completely contradictory things, supposedly God leading them to these messages that completely contradict. The one is Pentecostal will be like, God showed me there is no Trinity. The Seventh-day Adventist, God showed, well, if God's showing everyone, he can't be showing everyone things that completely contradict. So someone's lying. There you go. I think I'm going to back this up a little bit. I'm going to back this up. I know I probably shouldn't because of time's sake. I'm going to back this up. Here we go. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Yes. Now that verse yes. actually yes. expresses. Okay, I'm going to back it up even a little further. Back it up a little further. A little further. Here we go. Here we go. Continued, the harbingers have continued to manifest as America has continued on a course of danger as it heads away from God. So it is, we are heading to judgment, okay. and that's what it is. Now, the whole book revolves around one particular verse, right? Isaiah 9, 10, which reads, The bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with cut stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Now, yes, that verse yes, actually yes. expresses an attitude, right? Yeah, that was... that.
Okay, here's what we need to do. Now, this can't turn into a series. This cannot turn into a series, okay? But we've got to find a way. I know we're working on Amos. We've got to do something with Isaiah 9.10. We've got to. We've got to. So if, if anyone's still listening to me, I need you to hold me to this. You've got to figure out how to do something with Isaiah chapter 9.10. I think what we'll do, um, if, I, if I can finish up the Mark 2.26 stuff really quick at church, which I think we're pretty much done. We just got to figure out a couple of more things. Um, maybe we'll start a Isaiah 9 study. Because we can't do anything with Isaiah 9, 9.10, right, until until we do something with the entire chapter, right? I mean, we got to look, we got to look at the chapter first before we can look at 10. So it's just amazing that this entire thing is based off this one passage of scripture that, and, and here's what fascinates me is you could probably, I I would challenge you to do this. His interpretation of Isaiah 9, 10, go back, look at every commentary you can find going all the way back to the church fathers, all the way up to modern People who are modern commentators, those who've exegeted Isaiah 9 and see if anyone's come up with the same thing. This is typically a good hermeneutical key. When you come up with an interpretation that no one has ever seen or found in 2,000 years of church history, there's probably a reason why. Because you made it up. That was Isaiah records what the people said in Israel when they got their first warning strike, which was the, the context is the Assyrians had come in, God allowed it years before the destruction as a warning for the nation to wake up. But instead of saying, hey, yeah, we're going to return to God, they make that statement saying, hey, even though the bricks fell, we're coming back stronger. Even though the, the trees have been cut down, we're going we're to bloom and blossom without God. So they're, they're giving defiance. So Isaiah's recording this, and then God says, because of this, and then the next part is the, the destruction on the nation. So because they defied all the warnings, this happens. And in that verse are explicitly or implicitly the nine harbingers of judgment. I mean, the sycamore is one, the stone is another, the utterance is another, and every single... And I want you to see, I just think it's so funny because, okay, they're, they're, these people are saying these words out of pride, out of pride, out of arrogance, out of almost a rebellious spirit. Like, no, we're not going to be judged. We're going to do this. Well, now the sycamore, the stone, all of these are, are the harbingers. These are the signs of judgment. So now the sycamore represents this, the, this, and this, and this. And then they're going to say, uh, wait, wait, political leaders have quoted this. Do you know how many times political leaders have misquoted scripture out of context? Probably a lot less than preachers. That, that, was, that was a joke. That, that was a, somebody, somebody laughing. Okay, actually, it's maybe not even a joke. I'm being serious. I think politicians have quoted scriptures far out of, uh, I I think uh, politicians have quoted scripture out of context far less than preachers have because preachers do it, I don't know, daily? One of them has manifested in America. And we had people, leaders in America, who actually quoted this verse. It's amazing because this verse is a verse of judgment, pronouncing judgment on a nation. And yet, yet, and I didn't, listen, when, when this started, 
David. I, you know, the Lord led me right to that scripture, you know, but I didn't know that this had been said at that moment. I didn't know. One day I was on the computer and I'm typing it. And I say, boom, it, <laughs> it was the annals of Congress. I had no idea. So the very response after 9-11, Tom Daschle gets up, uh, you know, the Senate Majority Leader, gives America's response the day after 9-11 and out of his mouth, he says, but we have this word and out of his mouth, he pronounces Isaiah 9-10 without knowing what it means. Poor choice. Saying, I mean, out of all, it's yeah. obscure. I mean, and he doesn't, he's talking about the harbingers and they're actually manifesting he says it and then nobody knows you know you have the entire government hearing this and nobody knows what it means and yet and yet it's going to come true he says at the end this is what america will do and that and they have all manifested okay now i would say that the number one now you can correct Mm -hmm. me on this but i I would say the number one criticism of the harbinger that i've heard Mm -hmm. is people saying well that was a prophecy that god gave to israel and has absolutely nothing to do with the united states of america first of all it's not a prophecy Mm -hmm. yes that's it's right. not a prophecy. Right. It's, it's right. their response. Right. That's right. It's a prophetic word of what happened. But yeah. Yeah. If we can't apply verses yeah. to us, yeah. then, then forget uh, all preaching. We might as well forget the Bible. <laughs> the bo- you can apply a verse to you. And so, guess how this would be a good application? If this verse demonstrates their pride, and demonstrates their arrogance, then this would be a word for us to examine our own hearts for the pride and arrogance that is there. But you're not just applying the verse. You're saying that this verse, now these things represent harbingers, and you're taking it beyond just applying it. You're doing something far more with it. So don't sit there and play all, oh, well, you can't apply a verse with it. What's even the point of pre? Oh, just don't stop with the whininess. No, deal with the actual criticism. Nobody is saying that you can't look at that and go, man, these people, because look at the previous verse. Uh, And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, they say in the pride and stoutness of heart. So this, so you can say, how do these words in verse 10 demonstrate their proudness and stoutness of heart? And what areas of life you've demonstrated the same kind of pride and stoutness of heart? There you go. There's an application. No preacher would say you can't do that. But you are taking it and saying, no, no, no. This is pointing to harbingers that are happening. In a, you are going way beyond just a normal application. So don't sit there and act like, well, people criticize. Don't. Oh, come on. That is so. You're not even trying to be genuine here. You're not even trying to deal with the, re, the, the criticisms that would be offered here. And you know better than that. The book of Colossians was written to the church at Colossians. That doesn't apply to us. Absolutely. Philippians doesn't apply to us. Nothing does. Yeah, nothing does unless it says America. You know. So absolutely. I mean, then you have to. This cut is down, a spiritual you, principle. Yeah, yeah, you have to cut down all all prophecy. Yeah. So the thing is, the Harbinger never says this was a prophecy about America. What it says is exactly what you said. This was a template. This is what God did. God is considered. So no, wait. Now you just jumped. You went from it, it's a template. Wait, 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 wait. Now you've just changed this as being a historical narrative saying this is how the people responded. And now you're saying, no, it's a historical template. Well, wait a minute. You, you've got to prove it. And no one is saying that, oh, he wrote that to the church of Colossae. So none of it is applicable. There are certain aspects to it that can only be understood to that particular church or those particular people. See, this is what drives me absolutely crazy. Uh, and and sometimes it just makes me discouraged and depressed that the reality of Christianity is this. 
that you can just do whatever you want with scripture. Like, like, let's stop pretending. Let's, let's stop pretending. I, I know I constantly talk about hermeneutics and biblical principles, but the reality is nobody cares. People will make it say whatever they want to say, believe whatever they want to believe, and then go to whatever church that agrees with their end conclusion. It, all of it is, I, I hate to say it, so much of everything we do within Christianity and the church is meaningless, 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 meaningless. It is, and you're going to say, well, that, how dare you say that? Give me a break. Look around. I mean, look around. This is not even trying to be anywhere close to, to genuine with trying to really figure out, okay, what can we do with this text? Because on one hand, you say, it's applicable. You can't say it's not applicable. And then immediately he just slides in. It's a template. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, a template is something far different than just capturing in a historical narrative what people said and did. There, there's a big difference because now you're going from descriptive to prescriptive in some way. But I mean, does it, all of those principles and all, does any of it matter? No, people are going to believe whatever they want to believe. And everyone thinks that they're right. And everyone, ever, everyone thinks everyone is wrong. That we, we can't even agree on the principles that govern how we interpret the Bible. And if we can't agree on the principles that determine, that governs how we interpret the Bible, then all hope of ever agreeing on anything is just a facade. It's just pretend. God is able, first of all, God, when he acts, he judges, he warns, and he will do it in a biblical way. And as he does, not only that, he is also able to use the scripture or use, use a template to speak to a nation where you can say, well, wow, this is all there. And it's identifying where we are right now as a nation. Yeah. Well, what, if we could just back up a little bit. I was confused at first because the title harbinger. What is a harbinger? I so, didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't know. Well, get, get yeah. to the Shemitah. Nobody knows. Yeah. The harbinger. Yeah. The harbinger. Harbinger means a foreshadow or a, a, a sign of something to come. It could be good, but usually it's a, it's a, it's an ominous, an, yes. an ominous warning of judgment. Please note, he's saying Isaiah nine ten contains a harbinger, a word of warning of what is to come. Or is it simply reflecting the pride and arrogance of the hearts of certain men? Right? And if you condemn the politician for reading it incorrectly, maybe you should look in the mirror. Maybe they just saw it as a template. Hey, even though these were, just think of, the, we, the, couldn't the politician make this argument? Yes, these are words that were spoken at the time in a very arrogant way, but I think that this is a template and what we should do, that we could take this in a humble way, and this is how you rebuild after destruction comes. Couldn't someone then just flip it around and go, well, well you can apply it in a different way, Right? Uh, or, or, no. Oh, I'm sorry. The politician used it the wrong way. You're using it the right way. Okay. Gotcha. And anyone who says you can't use it is wrong. So ultimately, the only way to use it is their way, according to the Jonathan Kahn, and that's the right way. And anybody else who uses it, they're using it in a wrong way because now Jonathan Kahn becomes the de facto pope 
who now gives us the dogmatic interpretation. That, isn't that the way Christianity works? Okay, yeah. and that's what we're seeing through Israel as a model for any nation, including it's the United States. It's got to be. This is, this is written for our instruction. Okay. And, and But the eerie thing, it's not only like a general principle. God is sovereign over history. And I mean, listen, when you, you talk about how do the leaders say that he wasn't the only leader. Then three years later, John Edwards, on the anniversary of 9-11, says the same thing. And he builds his entire speech around we, Isaiah 9-10. So it keeps coming up. So... So I believe the Lord is, I mean, how does he warn a nation? He will use his word. And it's a statement of arrogance and pride. Defiance, yes, uh, all that. Defiance. Yes. We're, 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 uh, we don't care what you've done here. We're going to rebuild and we're going to That's exactly it. And that's exactly what America did and the leaders did. In fact, one of them there, it says we will rebuild with this stone. This is in Hebrew. It's yeah. called the Gazit stone. Well, after 9-11, they do the same thing. They take this stone. They put it in ground zero. And the, they have a ceremony around the stone. And the governor of New York says, we are doing this in the spirit of defiance. He literally says it. I mean, so the point is, and look, at, you know, if we were there, Dave, if we were there on Capitol Hill and we saw this, I mean, when it happened, I didn't realize it, you know, when Dashiell said that. But the thing is that, that if we were there, we would say, wait a minute, you know, this is a bad thing. There's not going to be this revival at that point. And there wasn't. And it was a kind of a foreshadow that America would grow much farther away from God. Okay, now what are some other major attacks on you okay. concerning this book? Okay, and let me just put it in context. It's generally in a small group of people. Yes, <laughs> they, I know. They speak loud. Yeah, you got to love that. It's, it's usually in the context of a, of, a, of a small number of people who are just, you know, got nothing better to do. And they all kind of laugh. Oh, but I understand. He's defending himself. They're all, they're all on the same side. I'm on the opposite side. But, okay, let, let's just, I don't know what else to say at this point other than this is, yeah, this is probably dangerous for my health. All right, here we go. Mm. You know, most have, is not most of it have held it, but yeah. Uh, okay, that's why I, no, no. I call. I refer to them as the junkyard dogs of Christianity, and that they are just snarling and growling and always looking for someone to attack. Well, yeah. Well, there I was, and there I came. You know, I came into the junkyard. Boy, did they I, I came into the junkyard. I didn't realize. You know, I said, "Beware of the dog." No. Uh, so, so the thing is that okay. Another one was the first one was actually replacement theology. He's preaching that God is finished with Israel. Classic replay. He's replacing Israel. Well, I, I you know, listen. Are you going to replace yourself? I'm, yeah, I'm Jewish. <laughs> I'm a Jew. How can I? You know, I literally have to replace myself with myself because I'm saved. So I got to replace myself. I can't do that. I, I'm totally pro-Israel. The name of the ministry is Beth Israel. I mean, that's crazy. They, they mistook what, again, it was just most people, by the way, most of these people did not even read the book. And they accused you of saying that America has a covenant with uh, God. That's I, the number one that when yeah. people write in and they reject yeah. your book, and they say that America is under the same covenant relationship as Israel. That's not well, true. Never say, but your yeah. book never says that. Never says that. Right? that. And, well, well, and first of all, and by the yeah. way, you know, because they say, well, that's, that's, that, you need that. No, you don't. I didn't have, that doesn't even have to be part of it. God can judge any nation yeah. and use his that's right. template. But the point, the fact is that what I bring up is that especially is pertinent to America, that America was founded after the pattern of Israel. It's there. They, the, the Puritans covenanted with God. doesn't mean that, you know, God, we don't know what God did, but did he honor it? It seems like he did. Yes. But that's not the same as the covenant made with Israel when that's God right. made it. There's only one nation that has that covenant. But there is something about America that is very special, that is dedicated to God. And there is principles that are in effect. So that's it. You know, so you don't need, you know, there's nothing saying that and, you know, that's Yeah, it. I never that, thought you'd said that yeah. we were in a covenant relationship. No, no. And yet God can honor prayers, you know, but yeah. even without that, you don't need that. The fact is he's doing it. And then on top of that, I mean, I can throw out the crate. I mean, that Mormon, uh, Mormon, yeah, they, 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 Mormon, Mason, Mason, yeah, Mason. Why? I, 
was it? <laughs> what? I mean, I don't understand. I shared I was involved with with uh, masonry once. I was on the Jackie Mason show, so th- that was it. But then I repent. I repented of it. So no more Jackie Mason. No. So, so so another one was uh, was it? Okay, yeah, Freemasonry, uh, Mormonism, um, uh, Kabbalah. Every, I mean, you name it. It's yeah, there. I heard the and, Kabbalah one a lot. And because of I want this is respond to that. Yeah, I want that's to, a major argument that you're involved in the Kabbalah and all this is Kabbalah and, and so explain forth. what Kabbalah is. Great, for folks, crazy, crazy. Okay. Yeah, basically, this is like Joseph McCarthy. But basically, <laughs> Kabbalah is, is Jewish mystical writings. And I would tell, anybody comes up to me and say, "Well, no, I would, don't endure. Don't, I wouldn't read unless you're doing your research or using it for apologetics." What I, I did, a, I did a, a, a series once on what the rabbi said about the Messiah yeah. at Beth Israel. And it's classic apologetics. The rabbis actually, in their writings, they say that the Messiah would die for the, for our sins. I said, well, that's great to use for Jewish people. That's you right. Know, you know, so so they said, well, because he does that, he's saying, therefore, he's endorsing all that. Which is, listen, if you do that, you got. I don't care what they say. Paul went to Mars Hill. Yes. He used pagan hymns to Zeus on Mars Hill to speak to the pagans of the gospel. They would, if he was alive today and they were there, he would be crucified for being a a Jupiter, a Zeus worshiper. I mean, crazy, all crazy, crazy. It has nothing to do with harmony. What about people who write in and say that you're a word of faith prosperity preacher? That if <laughs> oh, we yeah. repent, then all the financial blessings will flow back in the well, United well, States again. Me, yeah. I loved your response well, to that when you said. Your photograph was made at Sears. Sears budget photo. Budget photos. Budget photo. Yeah. Uh, most of my clothes were Salvation Army until my, my wife forced me to move up. So we made a deal. I went to Sears. You know, and, you know, and, and, you know Walmart. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, I, I, and I'm, I'm against those who, I mean, you know, that's a It just shows you how you know. desperate people are to attack. I think people, yeah, yeah, I think people, well, a lot of ministries, some ministries live on that. And the other thing is that they project with whatever they are going against on whatever they're going to attack. I mean, that has nothing to do, nothing to do with the harbinger. I mean, you know, and, yeah. and prosperity, the harbinger, saying God warning of judgment, that's real prosperity. I mean, you know. Well, that, that's what really bothers me is when people question your heart. And we get this at the ministry of time. Well, you're all in it just to sell books. No, we're not. It's about the message to change people's life. Now, you wrote this book to get a nation to repent, right? To be, I, yeah, the, the book is a call to repentance. And it happened. Yeah. I wasn't looking for it. I mean, we, we live across the street. We live across. Okay. That's a little frustrating. That's a little frustrating because. I don't think they're really even trying to deal with any serious criticism of the book. Most of that garbage that they're saying, look, there are people who criticize ministries and they do so from a position of ignorance and not a position of knowledge. And that kind of criticism is irritating and it should be mocked and ridiculed because I can't stand that. But they're not dealing with any of the serious criticism in any way, shape or form. Not even anywhere demonstrated why his hermeneutic and how he handles the text is accurate in any way, shape or form. And I, you know what, I, I don't, I really do get bothered by ministries. You're saying, well, you know, people just think you're trying to sell books. You're not? Because the last time I looked, the Harbinger is currently going for, let me see here. Let me look here. How much is it currently selling for? Give me one second. You see here, it is currently going for uh, the low, low price of $11 for the physical copy and $10 for the digital copy. Hey, but you're not trying to sell books. Uh, Look, I, I, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this still works, but I believe you can write a book, turn it into a PDF, and make it available for free on websites all across the internet. 
Now, I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm saying that it, it, if you're like, man, judgment is, God just revealed to me in Isaiah 9, 10, that America is about to be judged. I would hope that when Amos went to the Northern Kingdom and he went to Bethel or Samaria, he didn't say, hey guys, judgment is coming. Read about it for $10. Read about it for $11. Download the digital copy for $9.99. So I think criticizing when, when you're supposed to, God revealed to me this great thing that everyone needs to know, and it can be yours with a low price of $11. I'm sorry, there, there is at least a little bit of criticism that one has to accept for that. If God gives me some great message where he's showing me the harbingers and the, everyone needs to see this, I would hope I'd be given that away for free. I would hope I would write the book and then I would be turned on the, on the microphone Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Saturday, Sunday, going, okay, I wrote this book and I'm going to teach this book basically word for word over the next six weeks and or next 10 weeks in a series called The Harbinger. And I'd be teaching it and I would be, and I would be placing the PDF file and I would put all, and I would be giving away as much as I humanly possible. I may ask people to support the ministry just like, look, because there's nothing wrong with people supporting your ministry. I mean, we have the donate tab on the church one app. We have the donate uh, tab um, on the theologycentral.net pod page. So, so I'm not in any way saying, I mean, ministry requires, money. But I just, I, I just find it crazy that any criticism about selling books, they get, they, you know, that, that, Ooh, they, that's, that's an unfair criticism. No, it's a very fair criticism. Supposedly you've discovered the harbinger about coming judgment. And, well, if I want to, if I want to read your book right now, well, guess what? Um, it's going to, I mean, t- typically it's $17 today. It's on sale for 1099. Well, okay. That means I, I I can't get the harbinger, the signs, unless I pay that money. That seems utterly ridiculous to me, and I think that that's a fair. I think that's I think that's a fair. I think it's a fair criticism. You may not think it's a fair criticism. It does. I mean, we, we put it this way: we've never sold one thing on this podcast, and we've given away. I don't even know how many books. I, I've lost count. the river from ground zero so matter of fact my wife was supposed to be in the at the at the towers at the moment the last moment her plans were changed and so i'm watching that i'm praying and then then that then i started being led to to that isaiah 9 10 i was standing at ground zero and i saw the tree and something said there's something there and so i was led like one step i wasn't looking for it i was led one step to to the next to the next to the next it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger when i i wasn't going to do any book i shared it with the congregation everybody was blown away and said this has got to go to the the nation i didn't do anything and then finally i was led to write a book and you know this the thing wrote itself and there you go if the congregation was like, this needs to go to the nation, then the congregation should have said, here's what we will do. We will pay. We will support you in writing the book, and we will support and pay to get the book into hands as many people as possible for free. I mean, you can call me cynical, but I, I'm always cynical when you've discovered something that nobody else has seen in 2,000 years. God led you to it. And it's literally words that will help us all be prepared for the coming judgment and warn us so that we can repent and avoid it. And yet it's behind a paywall. I'm sorry, man. I, 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 if, if that is a fair criticism. And just mocking that criticism 
is not an answer. You got to give me a straight up like, why, why didn't you, if, the, if you preached it to the congregation, you, the congregation should have been like, we'll do whatever we have to do. We'll give extra money. We'll do that. I mean, if, if you believe in a ministry and believe what they're doing, I mean, supporting it financially is a very good way to keep that ministry working. So they could have done everything they could to say, okay, what can we do to get, what, to get this out there? What can we, what's the easiest way to get this out? I know what we'll do. We'll pay money. We'll build an app. Just, just think, just think, I'm just, I'm just brainstorming here. Here's what we'll do. We'll pay money to build an app on that app. We'll do this on one section. You can teach all the book. You can teach every part of the book. All right. So you'll have all the teaching on the harbinger. Then uh, we'll have another section called daily harbingers, right? And you can give daily updates about how these harbingers are manifesting themselves in real time in the culture. And then a third part of the app will be the book, the harbinger right there. And people can boom, people can down, uh, can read the book on the app itself. So the, all the teaching, Oh, you can have a fourth section and then just further teaching and further prophetic voices that you have permission to put on your app. So you could have the whole Harbinger taught. You could have daily Harbinger podcast episodes where you're pointing out where this is happening. Third, you would have the book and fourth, other prophetic voices, uh, your sermons or, or, or any other guest speakers or, or prophecy conferences or anything right there. And you could call it the Harbinger app. There you go. And make it free, available on all on, for Android and Apple, and get it out there. And, and I and I know companies that would build the app for you. Cost you a lot of money. Cost you about a hundred, probably a hundred and forty dollars a month to maintain it. But your congregation should be able to support that easy. And then you could you could have a donate tab on your app and saying, hey, if you if you support what we're doing, please donate. So, I mean, you know, I can, I can help you get your message out to the world and probably do it in a pretty inexpensive way. Happened rapid fire, and then it's always been spreading by itself. I mean, it just goes and goes and goes and goes. No, I believe I don't take any credit for the Harbinger. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I, if I try to reproduce how I, I could not do it. Uh, the point is, it's, it's gone forth. God warns. He'll do it through anyone. He'll do it through a donkey. He'll do it through anyone. And it has gone forth. So, so uh, that's exactly it. I believe God is warning America. That's what he does. He has a heart because he wants to save. Yeah. We are in danger of judgment, and it's happening precisely. Well, one thing I've appreciated is the fact that you have not responded to these people in the kind of uh, uh, manner in which they have attacked you, that you've dealt with it with humor and mainly have ignored it and moved on your way. You have to. You have a yes, good yes. friend who yeah. has uh, written yeah. a book oh, yeah. in defense of, oh, of, yeah. of this. But you, but you, you, I mean, you can't get involved you, you in can't, all You can't, you can't. And, you know, things that, you know, when I first went, I went to the publisher. I said, what do we do? They, you know, they're doing all this. They said, are you kidding? This is good. <laughs> you know, you know, I said, well, I, I'm not saying it's good. But the point is, nothing has stopped. Nothing has stopped slow. Did you hear that? The publisher was like, oh, no, this is good. This is good. This is good. Let's let the controversy keep building because this is good. You know why the publisher said that? Money, money, money. Ching, ching. Money, money, money. Ching, ching. The more controversy, the more we sell. I wish Christians would learn that. Whenever we get all up in arms about a Disney movie or we get all up in arms about a book, 
The more we get up in arms, the publisher, the the streaming service, the the company who made it, it's like, yeah, come on, Christians, scream some more because we're going to make some money, 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 money. That That's the way it works. But right there just shows how fleshly it is. Oh, no, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Yeah. Controversy brings sales. the going forth of this warning and God keeps opening the doors he keeps opening you know the the several presidential candidates are reading the harbinger wow. are lifting it up several of them um it doesn't stop anything of God so you can't you know this is true with listen any any believer you can't get get lost if you're serving God you just move forward and keep your eyes on God and do not get lost in all the junk you know just keep moving forward and God will keep blessing well I know when, when we began this ministry I knew that teaching Bible prophecy was going to be very controversial yeah and uh, the moment I started uh, writing and speaking people I was getting constantly I want to debate you I want to do this I want to do that and I just didn't have time for no. that and furthermore I just said Lord you call me to this I'm going to let you defend me. I'm not going to spend time defending yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's not that we don't ever answer, yeah. but the point is you can't get lost in it. You know, you got to look ahead. You can't look back. You, you do God's thing, God, God will lift you up and God will, God will take care of it. And he does. He does. Well, I just hope and pray that uh, this uh, message that you are putting out here will be one that uh, will continue to spread because this nation desperately needs to hear it. Yeah. Desperately. Most people believe that America is just not subject to the discipline of God. Just like ancient Israel. Yeah, and that's exactly what they said, and we're moving forward. And, you know, as we talk, I mean, listen, you know, I'll give you, I mean, one thing we're watching, for instance, the redefinition of marriage sweep. I mean, just in the last few days here. But on top of it, and one of the things I've said, one of the things that's in the Harbinger and the Shemitah, and one of the things I've said is that America doesn't turn back. One of the first things we can expect to see is the crown, America's crown as head of nations to be removed. Just yesterday morning, it came out that, for the, this is historic, China has surpassed America as the strongest economic power That's on right. earth. This is from wow. 1870. This, we have been the strongest economic power after we surpassed the British Empire, 1871. This is a momentous thing, but it's part of prophecy. I mean, and you know, people say, well, you know, look at prophecy, and you don't see America as the head. Well, the Harbinger is kind of, and, and the Shemitah is kind of like filling in the middle of that, but that is what's happening. So it is happening as we turn from God. This is happening. It's coming. Well, you mentioned uh, the Shemitah. Uh, that's a new book that yes. you've uh, just come out with. And so we'll take a little pause here and mm-hmm. come back and ask you to tell us what in the world is, is a Shemitah and what is the thesis of your book. Welcome back to Christ and Prophecy in our interview with Jonathan Kahn, a Messianic rabbi from New Jersey who's been anointed to proclaim a message of warning our nation. Now, Jonathan, let's turn to your second book called The Mystery of the Shemitah. Yes. Shemitah, right. Could you define what Shemitah means? Well, Shemitah was the Sabbath year. Every seven years, God said, you shall rest. Sabbath year, there's no buying, no selling of the fruits of the land, no reaping, none of that. The whole land would rest. And on the last day of the Shemitah, There was a special day called in Hebrew Elul 29. That's the 29th day of the month of Elul. On that day, something really extraordinary happened. All debts are wiped out. All credits wiped out. The financial realm is wiped clean every seven years. Wow. This was to be a blessing. But the thing is that as Israel turned away from God, the Shemitah comes back at them not as a blessing, but as a sign of judgment on a nation that has known God, driven God away, and now comes back, strikes their sustenance, their economics, their financial realm, and it comes back in 586 BC. When, when remember, when the judgment came on Israel, Babylon comes in. They are taken out into captivity for 70 years, and they say, "Why 70 years?" 
God says, because the land now will rest for 70 years for the 70 Sabbaths or the Shemitahs that they didn't observe. It says that even in the Torah. It says that this will come about as a sign of judgment on you. Mm-hmm. So it actually becomes a sign of judgment now. And that's where we get into That's where the link is with the harbinger. And that stretches back with the, uh, Leviticus 25.5. You are not to reap what grows by itself from your crop or harvest the grapes of your intended vines. It must be a year, a complete rest for the land. So every seven years then, the Jews weren't supposed to farm. Right. They were supposed to forgive all debt. How did they live? Uh, to, well, God said, I'll bless you on the sixth year. I'll bless you with extra if you do this. Okay. In fact, in Israel today, they're actually observing it. I mean, they? okay. sometimes they have loopholes. They, they, you know, <laughs> well, they have I, big loopholes <laughs> like hiring Arabs to run their land. Yeah, well, or they, yeah. Actually, they actually sell their land to non-Jews, and then they can work it. Then they buy it back at the end. I mean, you know, it's, it's difficult. But, but actually, they've said that those who have actually done it, have observed it, they have testimonies of that they were blessed. You know, okay. well, the point is, yeah. So that's the beginning of it. But it's not, let me, it's not the the. Sh- so I guess that principle is still active today. If you do that, you'll be blessed. So seven years and you don't do anything. You wipe out all debt, you do that, and then you'll be blessed. So he's seeming to making it's an it's a law that's still active. Well, we could get into a whole host of issues with that, but okay. Some people have confused that with, with what I'm not saying America is to do this any more than with the Harbinger or that it's about the law of the Shemitah. It's the Shemitah as a prophetic sign. Okay, well, let's, yeah. let's get into yeah. that for a moment. Uh, one, of the, uh, uh, one of the criticisms that's already been made of the book is how in the world can you take a law that God gave to the uh, Jewish nation right. and apply it to Gentiles? Right, exactly. Well, first of all, again, starting from the, the other thing we spoke about with the Harbinger, everything in the Bible is, is, you know, is, has a, is for us as well. It doesn't mean we're under something, but there's, there's meaning in it. Uh, secondly, it's not the Shemitah as a observing. It never said that. And I've seen some things that say, well, Jonathan said, absolutely not. Uh, not. Not at all. It's the Shemitah as a prophetic sign. When the Shemitah came as a prophetic sign of judgment on Israel, when they were 70 years, it, it, God says it exactly. This is the timing of the Sabbaths of the land that they did not observe. Now the land is going to rest. Well, that involved Babylon. That, the, the rise of Babylon had to happen according to that timing. That had a fall and Persia had to rise up so that the 70 years would be the 70 years. They could go back to the land. So it affects, so even world history. Yeah, but affected. I don't see how that applies to Gentile nations. I mean, we're not supposed to let the land rest. We're not commanded to let the land rest. So why in the it's world not, would this apply to It's us? not about, okay. <laughs> it's not, I'm not telling people to observe the Shemitah. That's not what this is a, that's right. not what it's, it's saying that God can use, just as he used the Shemitah as a sign of judgment on Israel, a nation that had turned away from God, the, the message of the Shemitah is that all your blessings come from God. If you turn, if you go away from, you go away from God, that therefore the blessings will be removed. Now the point is, and the same with the harbinger, is that, that God can use a sign from the Bible to speak. Now let me give you an example with, it, with this. Uh, one of the things is that you have the day Elul 29. That is the day when all debts and credit is wiped out. Well, here you have America, and, and, and we talked about the warning before that if America turns away from God's blessings will be removed. Well, you have on 2001, you have 9-11. On uh, several days later, you have the greatest collapse of the financial realm, Wall Street, it collapses. Wall Street collapses on September 17th, greatest collapse. When did that take place? It happens on the day appointed in the Bible, Elul 29, that says that the day of wiping away financial accounts, wiping away the financial realm, happens on the exact day down to the hour. Then, and not just the day, not just Elul 29, once a Did it wipe out everyone's debts? And didn't we bounce back pretty good financially from that? Didn't the stock market reach historical levels way after 9-11? So... 
Hey, it wiped out the financial realm or was it a sign of wiping out debt? So whose debts? So did by Biden canceling uh, student debt, did he fulfill the, this? Like, it's, it's so just weird. Like, just grab this and see, see, see. It's ha- and again, it's not just he's applying it. He's saying this is it and it and this is prescriptive of what's going to happen. That That is the he he, 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 he keeps trying to minimize it on one hand. We're just applying it. No, you're not more than applying it. You're saying this is prescribing exactly what will happen. Year, it's the once in seven year time. Uh, exactly, it's one day in seven years. Then, fast forward to 2008. We just had the Great Recession. You have the greatest collapse happens on September 29th. That is the greatest collapse to this day. It surpassed the one in 2001. Happens on a little 20, happens on September 29th. When on the exact same day appointed in the Bible as a, as the day of Elul 29 happens exactly according to the the law, the mystery of the Shemitah happens exactly seven seven years apart the two greatest crashes down to the day down to the minute down to the second the- I'd have to verify all of these claims but ha- even if you verify some of the timing, it's still you're you're claiming that the Shemitah somehow is is points that this was supposed to happen, that it was a prophetic sign of what was going to happen. But you're this is what this is this is his it seems to be this is his philosophy. When something happens, then go find something in the scripture that supposedly pointed to it happening, happening, but you're not finding it before the things happen. You're finding it after it happens. So it's like, here are these scriptures. All right. I read them. Oh, wait, this bad thing happened. Okay. Now wait, go back to that scripture. See, it was pointing that this is going to happen. You, you did it after the fact. Show me that you figured it out before the fact. Because if it's a warning sign, it's got to be warning you that it's going to happen. It's not a warning after it happens. Two greatest crashes on the same day that happens to be that. On top of that, Dave, on top of that, and this is after that, you know, this begins in the Harbinger. When I looked, there is a pattern that goes beyond that, that when you look at the greatest collapses in Wall Street history, there is a, there, they, all of them, the last, last 40 years, every Every one of the greatest long-term collapses happens clustered around the year of the Shemitah. Every single one of them. They are they are they are seven years apart, even from the one from before, the one after. Yeah, they can go. I would have to verify that that every financial collapse in America it follows the pattern of the Shemitah. I I, I would have, and that is seven years apart, and it's the end of the it's the end of the Shemitah year. I I. Mm, let's say that I am high, highly suspect. But even if it is, now you're claiming that this is that that's that that be, I mean, so how do we look at this? So the Shemitah tells us that financial judgment is coming every seven years or every six years, and the seventh year is the because six years the land's red and the seventh year, okay. So I think I think that's the way it would work. Um mm, I, there are some serious issues. And so if, so if America is just obedient to the law of God, 
even though they're lost and unregenerate, then we'll get financial blessings that year because the sixth year he will double bless us and the seventh year we'll have great prosperity in America. So America can have great prosperity, not by conversion, but just obeying God's law, which law, like I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly how this works. Down the list. It's a continual pattern. In fact, Wall Street, people on Wall Street have always been mystified. Why do these greatest crashes generally happen around autumn, if you know? Well, they happen, they all cluster, the majority of the greatest day crashes cluster around the Hebrew month of Tishri. That's, that's October, September, October. That's the very time in the Bible that is linked to the Shemitah when God says this happens. Well, one of the problems I have with this is you well know mm-hmm. the Jewish calendar is a mess. It's a mess. I mean, uh, it's lacking about 250 years that should be in there because the uh, sages uh, short-term uh, short the Persian rule. They, they put it down for about 52 years, and it was over 200 years. So the whole calendar is off. They don't know when the Jubilee years are. How do they know when the Shemitah well, so interesting, are? Interesting, because I, I want the Jubilee is part of this thing, too. So how, uh, yeah, you well, never explained well, that in well, your book yeah, as to how they determined that these years are the Shemitah. Well, these were, well first of all, the well, first thing is, Okay. All right. At least he's offering some criticism about time. I'm I'm shocked. I am pleasantly surprised. If the Jewish calendar is a mess, well, look, everything is a mess that Jonathan Kahn touches because he just grabs stuff and like, see, it fits, it fits. He said he sounds so authentic and authoritative and he's well-spoken. So everybody's like, ooh, he's so smart. But when you really start taking it apart, you're like, wait a minute. So wait, so so which year started the first, like every seven years? So we go seven years, six, six years, we, the seventh year, everything rests, all the debt is canceled. But what really happens if you didn't do obedient stuff in the first six years, the seventh year is not going to be a time of blessing. It's going to be a poverty and you're going to be financially wiped out. Like that, that's the way he's taking it. Well, then how does that exactly work? So, I mean, there, I got like millions of questions here. Hey, America, obey the word, the commandments of God, and then you'll be obey. You'll get double the blessing every seven years. Is this a financial scheme? Because it, it, he's, I mean, wouldn't, what about conversion? What about the gospel? That we know that the, the Shemitahs were observed, the Jubilees were not, we're not, there's a gap as far as their observance in the time of Messiah. So it's very hard to, to figure out anything with the Jubilee. However, but there is a mystery here. But the other thing is that with the Shemitahs, though, they were observed in the time of Messiah. They were observed. They are recorded by Josephus. They are recorded by, in, in the rabbinical writings, they are recorded. And, the, you, and, by, and simply, so what they did is simply taking the observances which were there in the times, of the, in Bible times, they continue out and they fall on these exact times. Well, I would argue that this, I would say that the Shemitahs, were, were non-observant during the uh, years, the 1800 years that the Jews were out of the land. Absolutely. That they only apply to the Jews being in the land. The Jews repossessed the land in 1948. That's when the Shemitah count should begin. Well, 1948. That's well, when they possessed the well, land. Well, let me say something here. Jonathan? They, 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 first of all, so the first one would be 54, 55. Well, well, actually, that's when, actually, that's when you have nationhood. But 
The fact is, as soon as they started returning in the 19th century, that is when they started farming the land. Uh, and that's what, no, listen. But they didn't possess it. Okay, <laughs> in any case, they, that's when they went to the rabbis and said, how do we do this? That's when they started. Well, I just think this but, is very but, arbitrary, Jonathan. Well, it's, it's, actually, it's actually very specific. There, I, nobody can come up with, and the fact is, all around the world, they are observing it at this time. From the time of the temple, the first temple. And the fact is, and here, listen, here's the thing, Deb. The fact is, regardless of that, here are the times... It's all it's universal. I mean, as far as when when this is done here, it happens on the sun. If regardless of what one thinks, go back. The fact is, on these exact times, all these things happen. And and if you look again, Wall Street, look at back. It's happening according to. It's like saying, you know, you know, we can say even with the Sabbath, God wove the Sabbath well, into into. I think the saving grace of your book is right at the end when you say, well, looking back, we have to admit. That things do not always happen on the Shemitah. Oh no! So, so from the well, here's an, here's another interesting thing about this. Well, Other, otherwise, it, I, here, well, here's it's okay. <laughs> okay, so so things don't always happen on the Shemitah, but this is the sign. This is a prophetic sign. What in the world? And him even trying to explain it. It is it is a train wreck. If the harbinger is bad, I don't not, I don't even want to get near this whole book on the Shemitah I, because I probably would just like I would just like. Ah! I would just start screaming. So, I mean, I, I didn't even know he wrote a book about the Shemitah. I didn't even know because, look, I, I think I, I'm just I'm baffled that Jonathan Kahn has any platform. But even here, the, these people who are such great supporters of him, even him are like, hey, the only saving thing about your book is you admit that the principle doesn't actually always work. OK, this. <laughs> So, okay. Hey, what a great thing to say. Your book is great because you admit that your principle doesn't always work. Therefore, then why would you even promote the book? Well, well listen, we'll see what happens. But here, but here, but here's the thing, Dave. The other thing is this. Well, I've had economists come to me. I've had Finet from Wall Street, because we're not far from that, come to me and say, you know what? This is there. They had no idea about the Shemitah. But they actually, after I wrote the book, all these, they have, this is a seven-year cycle. And guess what? The seven-year cycle comes on each time, the years that they identify without realizing it. They don't know about the rabbis. They're not looking at the calendar. They are all identifying their, the seven years are happening, of the crashes on the time of the Shemitah. Plus, another economist came to me and said, you know what? That they showed me the debt cycle. And the, the fact is, when the debt cycle is the highest, and remember, this is linked to debt in the Bible, that's when this phenomenon is the strongest. And when, it's, when the, debt, the debt is... I just like how arbitrarily these economic people came to me. They don't know anything about the uh, the rabbis. They don't know anything about the Shemitah. But these Wall Street people are just walking in. Hey, I will. I want you to know that. Hey, I don't know anything about Shemitah or rabbis, but I want you to know that this is the way the it works. And 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 now, if this is true that it works every seven years, shouldn't that greatly determine how you do your stock your stocks? Hey, six years. You buy these stocks and then you sell them right before the end of the sixth year because if America hasn't been keeping God's law, the stock market's going to crash. Shouldn't that just be like, I mean, since, since, since everyone on Wall Street seems to figure this out, like you're telling me people who study the stock market their whole life, they haven't figured it out, but Jonathan Kahn has figured it out and wrote a book about it. But he doesn't really tell me what we're supposed to do with it other than America. Obey God so that you can get double prosperity every seven years. But hey, hey, I'm not one of those prosperity gospel people. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Not at all. The lowest this cycle, that's when it's weaker. But the fact is right now we're, we have the most astronomical debt on earth. So let me just say something here. It's not about observing it and that 
I'm not, in, I'm not interested in what people observe. People write to me, how should I observe? It's not about that. It's about that God is able to use anything in his, in his word as a warning, as a sign to say, this is my hand. You know, when you just mentioned before, you said that crash, and you notice, wait a minute, seven, seven, seven. Well, yeah, but you know what, Dave? You know, that was also, that was the, that was the day of the seventh year in the Bible. That was the, the exact day. And not only that, how much was wiped out? 7% was wiped out. How much the other time? 7%. On the exact day down to the minute, Dave. I mean, so, so the fact is, you say God puts his fingerprints. Is it something about the, the seven? No, it's his fingerprints saying that I'm warning you. The ultimate message of the Shemitah is our blessings come from God. If the nation ever turns away from God, which it's doing, those blessings will be removed. That's what happened to Israel. And that That's is a good message. Well, then why did the stock market go so back up? America has continued to turn from God. Why did we have supposedly such economic prosperity when the, when the stock market was just breaking astronomical records and such low unemployment? Why, why did everything change? Uh, I'm going to stock, stock crash of, tw- of 2000. Uh, 2001. Hang on, give me one second here. Of 2001. Market crashed. uh, Let's see here. I'm looking here. Where? Let's see here. I'm going to find out when this happened. All right. So the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ did not open for trading on Tuesday morning, September the 11th, 2001, as terrorist attacks attacked the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. First American Airlines flight, and they go through there. The tragic event uh, marks its 20th anniversary this September. Um, the terrorist attack on September the 11th was marked by a sharp plunge in the stock market. The first week of trading after the attack saw the, the, SP, the, the S&P fall 14%, he said 7%, so already there's some numbers here that are not accurate. Um, okay, okay, on the first day, now, okay, on the first day of, of the, New York's, uh, the New York Stock Exchange, trading after sev- sev- September the 11th, the Dow Jones fell 684 points, a 7.1% decline. So now there's the, there's the 7%. Uh, the, uh, the close of trading on Friday, it was down 14%. So, I mean, it was 7.1%, I guess, for w- one period of time. Um, so there's, there's the seven he was looking for. Okay. Hang on. All right, I'm going to do this. See, stock market breaks records today. Let me see here. Uh, okay, so I've got 2021. The Dow jumps 300 points to top 34,000 for the first time. So, so, here, so here's the thing, all right? So here's the thing. He, he can go back and say, see, the Shemitah, this is how it works. And every seven years, there's a crash. And, then, and this, is, this is all based off if America continues to turn from God. I would think by the time you get to 2021, you would say America had turned further from God than they d- did way, way more than it did all going all the way back to 2001. But from 2001 to 2021, the stock market had these record um, where it broke all these records. So how does that fit into your story that as long as we continue to turn from God, think we're not going to have financial prosperity when financial prosperity has happened over and over and over in America? 
But hey, it doesn't fit the narrative. You don't fit the narrative. You throw it out because you know what? You're creating a narrative. You're not studying the Bible and you're twisting scripture and you're destroying scripture and everyone should reject everything Jonathan Kahn has written. There we go. Right? That's just, just doing impromptu research and immediately see all of these problems. Where there you have it. Wow. I, I, that's not, that did not go the direction I had planned this morning, but you know what? It once again brings this subject to the light. And so therefore, there'll be another podcast episode there in our archive there for it. And uh, hopefully it will help keep someone from going down this crazy path of biblical twisting that Jonathan Kahn has embarked on and people are following. All right, I'll stop right there. You can email me your thoughts about all of this. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. If at any point in this episode, if all of a sudden the mic was turned off and you didn't hear anything for maybe four or five minutes, please let me know. Here's what happened in in the making of the, in, in the recording of this live broadcast. My microphone has two lights, a white light that indicates I'm live on the air, a red light indicating that I have muted the microphone. That, that light is very, very important to let me know, okay, nope, I've, I've got it muted. Nope, I'm live on the air. That, that light indicator has stopped working, which is very disappointing because I bought this microphone not too long ago. So I'm going to have to buy another one, which is $120. That's a little frustrating. But um, I will have to be cautious um, because like right now, the light is not on. So I, I, I can look over at my meters and it tells me I'm live. Now, if I do this... Okay, that muted the mic. So the so I, I I know the mic is muted, but I don't have any indicator. So I so typically when I press that button, a red light's supposed to come on. And when I un when I press the button again, a white light comes on. And without that indicator, I'm I'm running blind, which is bad because that means I could literally think I'm live on the air going, okay, da, 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 and I talk for five minutes and you're not hearing literally anything. That would ruin a recording. So um I will, I will seek to, I will order one here as soon as I can uh, so that our reviews don't run into that problem. Yeah, that's very disappointing, but there you go. All right, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I'll take a little break, get a little lunch, and then we'll see what we have planned for the rest of the day. Thanks for listening. God bless.